Support for this episode of This Week in Jackassery was provided by... Nobody! Nobody sponsored this podcast. Nobody sponsored this podcast. Maybe you should. You should do it! To sponsor This Week in Jackassery, go to thesnapdownload.com slash sponsor. Thesnapdownload.com slash sponsor! Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 20 of This Week in Jackassery. I'm Shane Barnhill. I'm the editor of The Snap Download, and I'm joined by my co-host, The Snap Download's Adrian Bottinger. Hi, Adrian. Hey, Shane. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you so far this week? I'm pretty good. It's already been a very exciting week. It has been. Lots to talk about in this episode. And so in today's episode, we're going to make our Jackassery nominations as usual. We'll talk about the things that are driving us to drink already this week while doing some drinking. And then we'll play the game Rad or Bad, where this week I'm firing some current event topics your way for your Rad or Bad picks. I am ready. I've been studying the news. Yay. All right. And then lastly, we will offer up some proof that everything doesn't suck in the world, which is a good palate cleanser for the end of the show. Don't you think, Adrian? I really do. It's good to, like, you know, just remind ourselves because we, we read much and we see so much of just terribleness um and as as you know kind of confessed political junkies we almost seek out the terribleness so it's good to remind ourselves that not everybody is totally full of crap i agree all right so let's get things started first up our namesake segment this week in jack assery who do you have this week adrian i have the ardent supporters of a strict interpretation of the constitution who for some reason opposed President Obama for following the provisions of Article 2 by nominating a jurist to fill the seat recently vacated because of the death of Justice Antonin Scalia. I had a feeling we were going to go here to start off. <laughs> I mean I mean it's you know and I'm not I'm not laughing at the at the death I um you know, this is probably not a surprise, especially to those of you who might have read my post already at the Snap Download. If you haven't read it yet, go check it out snapdownload.com. But I do not really agree with about 99% of Justice Scalia's rulings, but I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to deny that he was, he, he was a brilliant man and by all accounts pretty personable and um, pretty funny and a lively character. So I think, I think his absence is felt pretty greatly, even yeah. by those who disagree vehemently with him. <laughs> right, agree. And speaking of those who vehemently disagree with him, this is a huge moment potentially for for them but but for both sides i guess both, both conservatives and liberals and everyone in between yeah so i gotta say that that people's res- you know by and large people's response this weekend and and continuing through to today is is what you know what makes up my nomination for this weekend jack assery so you had people who were like almost like rubbing their hands together in glee at the idea of like replacing uh, justice Scalia, um but like even larger and louder were was the crop of people that were you know within hours of Justice Scalia's passing within hours Senator Mitch McConnell was saying that there was no way that uh the Senate was going to confirm anybody that President Obama put forward and he should just not even nominate anybody and there's been a host of um you know the already elected and then the desiring to be elected officials who were saying that President Obama should not 
remotely even think of nominating somebody to replace Justice Scalia, that that should wait for the next president. <laughs> so we'd be in a situation where we'd have, um, you know, realistically, so say the next president is inaugurated in January of 2017. Well, the first that first day is pretty much the inauguration, and it's not like a, a Senate confirmation would take place immediately following that. So we'd be a year away from having a ninth justice, and we have a lot of very important cases that are running pretty close where you have a 4-4 situation. So um, it's it's just hysterically ironic to me that at the same time that they're celebrating, you know, um, Justice Scalia's genius as an originalist, which he most certainly was an originalist and, you know, wanted to adhere strictly to the literal words of the Constitution. The literal words of Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 right. talk about the president shall nominate a judge of the Supreme Court, and the Senate shall consider it. Um, you wrote you so, wrote about that in your article, the irony, and I thought that was the best part of the piece. That uh, as someone who adheres to the literal words in the Constitution, feels right. like what, what did Marco Rubio say that the Constitution is not a living document? Not that Scalia necessarily believes that specifically, but he is definitely an originalist, and I and there's a certain amount of irony there right. for sure. I mean, Justice Scalia thought the Constitution was dead. Like, he didn't like that word, but but when he first spoke of his, his thoughts, that's that's the words that he used. The Constitution is dead. And what he meant was, he clarified later and said enduring. So he meant that you shouldn't be interpret, you know, you shouldn't be extrapolating things that are not specifically written in the Constitution. So nowhere in the Constitution is it written that the Senate can just decide that the President can't continue being President for, you know, the last two-thirds of the year of which he serves, <laughs> right. and that they can just decide to block it no matter what. Um, the irony, especially especially coming from Senator Ted Cruz, who also claims to be, um, he, he does have a powerful command of the Constitution. I don't agree with his interpretation, but he's a, he's a powerful understanding of it. I mean, the man clerked for Rehnquist, mm -hmm. um, Chief Justice Rehnquist. So he talks about you know, how we need to adhere strictly to the Constitution, and yet some of the first damn words out of his mouth are that the Senate, that he he promises a filibuster. So say the Judiciary Committee decides to actually have a hearing, and say the Senate, you know, unbelievably decides to move forward and, and hold, you know, confirmation hearing, that Cruz is going to stop it. Because Obama, <laughs> terrible, bad, ah, yeah, I, I you know I I don't really fault either side here. I, I I really don't. You know, I think it's it's definitely jackassery from Cruz and from others, McConnell, who are saying that they're going to block everybody. Trump, what did Trump say in the in the last debate? Delay, delay, delay was his yeah. was his big line. But I think everybody's ra acting very rationally. I mean, Republicans look at this and rationally. Go, no, I do. I mean, I think I think that they're looking at this from the perspective of. Whoa, we're, we're a generation or two is going to change and not in our favor if we don't execute this strategy here. And I think on the, on the other end, Democrats and liberals are looking at this as, you know, yay, we finally have an opportunity to change policy for generations. So I think all parties are acting very rationally in the statements they're making. I mean, whether they really and truly believe them or not, like, like you, you brought up a point. Ted Cruz knows the Constitution about as well as anyone. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, he's well aware of the clause, and I'm sure he's well aware of the irony. But he's acting very rationally for 
the ideas and the policies that he wants to advance. So it just comes down to it. People will say and do anything and they will twist any ideology, whether it's the constitution and American beliefs, whether it's religion, to really to really support their worldview. And and that and that's what I see here. Yeah, I mean I guess I, I, I you know, I I don't adhere to a literal interpretation of the Constitution. I don't right. I think that part of the brilliance of the document and the brilliance of the founders is that they had a lot more forethought than I think, you know, originalists give them credit for. They understood the country would change and grow in ways that they couldn't even comprehend. And so not everything is expressly spelled out. So like that, that you know, the the Constitution itself, you know, wouldn't be my the a strict adherence to it wouldn't be my sole um, reasoning as for why this should this nomination and confirmation hearing should take place. I I just don't understand how, you know, they can the people that are so ardently against it, I mean, it just <sighs> obstructionist is just the word that keeps on coming up to mind. Right. Obstruction like everything you know, President Obama could want to order extra cheese on pizza and they'd be like, no, we hate cheese. It doesn't matter what the man wants or says. They have to be the opposite of it. And in this case, when we have so many things that are, that are, are you know, waiting on the Supreme Court and there's so many important decisions and that, that travel down to the lower courts that rely on the Supreme Court's interpretation, you know, to establish precedents. So they're not just screwing with you know, the legacy of Justice Scalia. They're not just screwing with the cases that are up in, to be decided and, and ruled on in June. They're screwing with the American people. And I, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be very interesting to watch as we get closer and closer to the election, especially if it becomes clear to Republicans. Let, let's say, Let's say hypothetically that Hillary Clinton is the Democratic nominee, and all polls and all maps and Nate Silver, everybody's predicting she's going to win. She's Here's exactly how many electoral votes she's going to get. There's a couple of swing mm -hmm. states, but they're not going to affect the overall outcome. It'll be interesting to see if the Republicans change their approach and try and come to the bargaining table with President Obama on agreeing <laughs> to some more moderate candidates there have been some names of moderates because of, that have been because of their their all encompassing fear of Hillary. Oh yeah, I mean, I think the hatred for Hillary Clinton on the far right is even greater than it is for President Obama. So it'll be interesting really? to see. I, I that, think so. That that will be interesting to see. But that so that's so that's my nomination for this week in Jack Assery. What's yours? You know, it's been a rough week for Jeb Bush. A really really rough week. And oh, poor Bunny. He's he's already coming <laughs> off the floor as it is. So. A couple of things that Jeb and, and and more broadly Jeb Bush's team, a couple of big mm -hmm. mistakes this week, or a couple of big um, Jack Assery reasons for nominating him and his team for Jack Assery. One is the JebBush.com fiasco. He, his team forgot to renew his domain name. And no, so a very smart staffer from the Trump campaign grabbed jebbush.com and now when you go to there type that in it goes to donald trump's website no i had not heard that yes so oh. the, that's that's unforced error number one by jeb bush and his oh. team this week number two is his <laughs> and and that alone right there is enough of a reason for 
nominating Bush and his team for uh, my jackassery nomination. But yes. then Bush had to send out the tweet that simply had one word, America, and it had a big picture of a handgun on there. Yeah, okay, that I have heard of. Oh. And, and it became, of course, an instant meme on Twitter. Everybody putting all sorts of crazy, you know, gifts and images and things and just putting America. Sure. People are putting, you know, Moss Eisley from Star Wars and putting a laser blaster and, and all sorts of just insanity. But this mm-hmm. is so tone deaf from from Bush, and I assume he's got a team. I hope he has a team who's trying to help him on Twitter. But it's so it's so tone deaf because we're coming up to the South Carolina primary, uh, which is the next for the Republicans. You know, sure. and it's the memory of the Charleston Church massacre is not too far in the rearview mirror at this point, and not that it should ever be completely in the rearview mirror. That's not what I'm saying. But right. it's that they're going into this state where. You know, already 92% of Americans, according to a recent poll from CBS News and New York Times, favor background checks for gun purchasers. And in South Carolina, it's not much different. 89% of voters mm-hmm. in the state support background checks. And 77% think there should be a waiting period before purchasing a gun. So I get who, that Bush is trying to pander to the gun rights activists, but I think his timing yeah. may be poor here. Are, what's the react? I mean, are people talking about Charleston in response to his tweet, or is it too early to say? Well, mostly people are just making fun of Bush at this point, you know, mimicking his tweet with yeah. different versions of America. But, but some analysts are talking about it, you know, in, in the context of Charleston, and and just trying mm-hmm. trying to understand exactly why would you do this? I mean, why is now the moment for this? It's not like there was a big you know, conversation in the latest debate about gun rights and gun control. I mean, it seems like Mm -hmm. a poorly timed tweet. And I don't know if it's completely tone deaf or if Bush and his team are just trying to out Trump Trump. Like maybe they got trumped to use that word now again. Oh, maybe, maybe they were trumped on the jebbush.com thing. I know. I'm so sorry. I'll edit that out. Um, you know, maybe they're just trying to out-Trump Trump for the domain name thing for stealing JebBush.com and just do something so radical that lights up the Twittersphere. Ted Cruz had a winner, you know, during the debate where he was, or when I think, I think it was the debate, when he was talking about, um, you know, I think they were asking, talking about, like, uh, their favorite rulings of Justice Scalia's and, like, his opinions. And he was talking, uh, Ted Cruz was talking about Heller, uh, the case, you know, in D.C. Right. And so maybe he's sensing that, like, hot, like there's going to be, like, Cruz is going to kind of launch some type of Second Amendment reinvigoration discussion because of Scalia's passing, and maybe that's his Jeb's way of getting on board or getting ahead, or I don't know. A little, little context maybe would have been nice then, other than just the word America. So America. Jeb, and, Jeb and, and the Bush team, Team Bush, or Team Jeb with an exclamation point, I guess. <laughs> They're they're collectively my nomination for this week in Jackassery. So that's a good nom. Thank you. I yeah I think yours is as well. So uh, let's take a quick break and then we will come back to talk about what's driving us to drink this week. Alcohol on my hands. I got plans to ditch myself and get outside. Dancing women from one place, decapitating their laughing gates, swelling chickens, cotton flight. Out of focus. If you're a regular reader of the Snap Download, and you really should be, 
But if you're a regular reader, then you know that there's a lot that drives us to drink each and every week. The reasons might change. Sometimes it might be about political jackassery. That's usually a recurring role, but there's never really a shortage of things in the world that make us want to drink. So Shane, what are you drinking this week and who or what is driving you to drink? I am drinking an icy cold Stella. I'm enjoying that right now while we record. Stella! Yummy, but I, I don't have the glass, so it's just straight out of the bottle. I'm not that fancy. I am drinking because of the sad state of Twitter, my beloved Twitter. Um, Aww. I know. We've talked about this on the show before. <laughs> Twitter released their, their Q4 earnings last week, and it, it wasn't a pretty picture. Well, actually, revenues were kind of a pretty picture. Um, Q4 revenues were up 48% year, year over year, so that seems like very good news, right? That does seem really good. Right, but the bad news is, is that the company lowered its guidance for the first quarter and reported, and here's the really bad part, an actual contraction in its user base for the past quarter from Q3 to Q4. So, so wait, they have less people using Twitter? Yes, so that means more people gave up on Twitter than joined Twitter from Q3 to Q4. So I heard an, an estimate from somebody, and I think it might have been on um, a podcast, on another podcast with JRO of Business Insider and Farhad Manju of New York Times, where I, th I think somebody quoted a statistic that over a billion people have tried Twitter and since walked away from it. So basically, the size no. of Facebook have tried Twitter and said, it's not for me, and they've left. And for so, real? That's insane. I know, and that's, I mean, that's since it's, uh, since the inception, since its inception, the launch of the product. So obviously that's not the past quarter, but over the past quarter, users did decline, and the Twitter, and Jack Dorsey and the rest of Twitter's management team, they are reacting with some proposed changes, or more than proposed, some changes that they're going to implement in order to right the ship. Some of these changes include an algorithmic timeline, very much like you see in Facebook's newsfeed, where it's not the most recent tweet necessarily. It's some tweets that have been, you know, selected by an algorithm that, that the algorithm thinks mm -hmm. you'll be interested in. So a nice step, sure. Um, and then maybe removing some of the friction associated with conversations. There's that little thing on Twitter that if you don't put a dot in front of the at symbol, you know, the rest of your followers won't see it unless they're following the person you're tweeting to. And so there's some, mm -hmm. some rules that I think Dorsey said rightly. It's kind of difficult to learn, you know, how to use Twitter if you're a new user. So things like that will help make it easier for new users to, to enjoy the service. They're also talking about extending the length of tweets uh, from 140 characters up to 10,000 characters. But I don't know about you, Adrian, but none of those sound like a wow moment. None of those sound to me compelling enough to go... Yeah, that, that instills some confidence in me that they're turning this around and Twitter is going to go, they're going to pull back in a lot of those billion users that have walked away. I mean, am I wrong? I those, those aren't huge, right? No, no. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think any of those changes are really going to do it. And, and some of the changes, you know, the change from going from 140 characters to 10,000 characters, I mean, that's changing what Twitter is. Like, that's part of why Twitter is popular is because of the brevity, you know, we have a short attention span of the culture and it's, it fits it. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think t the, the things that make Twitter unique, altering those things, I mean, some of them I think are good, but 
changing 140 characters. Um, I don't think they're going to go completely algorithmic. I mean, Jack Dorsey came out and said something along to the effect of Twitter is real time and that's not going to change. So hopefully they're smart about it, but none of these seem like world changing, you know, alterations that's going to write the ship at Twitter. Yeah. And, and, you know, it got to the point that I read Farhad Manji's column of the Times where he said that, you know, is it is it getting to the point where Twitter needs to follow a model like Wikipedia where it's in donation supported entity or something like that. I mean, there's not that that is seriously something wow. that Twitter and its board would entertain, but it's, yeah. it's getting to the point where some of the, you know, some of the most well-known Twitterers, at least in the tech sphere that I follow are actually suggesting things like this. So a year ago, if you'd have said, do you want Google or somebody to buy Twitter? I would have said, no way, you know, don't, don't mess with Twitter. I love Twitter for what it is, but now you're almost going mm-hmm as a daily user of Twitter, yeah, please Google or somebody buy Twitter and then run it like you ran YouTube where you just give it some runway to go and develop and become its own money-making machine in the future and figure out the product. But right now I'm I'm nervous for Twitter's long-term viability. So that's what's driving me to drink this week, Adrian. Uh, how about you? What are you drinking this week and what is driving you to drink? I am drinking some mold wine which is very nice and warm because uh it's it has been pretty cold out here on the east coast although it just turned a little bit warmer today so um at why i'm drinking is much less palatable and that is because of the chicago cop who is suing the family of the young man that he shot and killed what yes this is a thing that happens here um i i thought this can't be real. Like, when I first read it, I'm like, this has got to be clickbait, right? Like, that cannot be real. But it's real. Um, did you know that you can sue someone's family because they made you shoot and kill them? I don't even have words to reply to that question or this pick at all. Uh, please go on. Brain not working <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I don't so, so <laughs> I don't. I don't. Yeah, when I first when I first read it, I, I would have thrown my laptop, um, but that's what happened to my last laptop. So so seriously, Officer Riamo um, shot and killed uh, Quintonio. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Legrier, who was an emotionally distressed nineteen year old kid. Now uh, Quintonio had called in to nine one one a few times. He was having an argument, I think, with his father, and he was really hard to understand. And nine one one almost wasn't going to send anybody, and then his father called back, and I think also asked for you know someone to come. So Officer Riamo walks into the scene, and Legrier was walking towards him with a bat. So he had a bat in his hand. Mm-hmm. Officer Riamo shot and killed him. So shot him multiple times. I forget how many times. While he was shooting Legrier. He accidentally shot um, Legrier's neighbor, Betty Jones. Okay. So that happened, and it was terrible because, you know, there's some, there's some evidence to suggest that, um, you know, this 19-year-old kid was pretty emotionally distressed and had a lot of mental, had some mental health issues. So probably not the best way to approach him. Now he, I mean, I don't think, I don't think his family is denying that he was you know, actually coming at the officer with a bat mm-hmm. so that the officer had some reason to be afraid but shot him and killed him and shot his neighbor and killed her. Um, so that's pretty terrible, right? Right. Um, terrible like situation. Like, just on its 
just on itself. And, you know, of course, Officer Ramos is white and, and, um, and Quintonio Legree is black. So that's already pretty terrible. But then let's make it extra terrible because Officer Ramo is suing Legree's family for more than $10 million because of the emotional distress that the officer has incurred because he had to shoot this kid. Okay. My, my brain is still not 100% working, I think, from the shock of all this. But to summarize, you're telling me an officer does a part of his job, not a, not a good part of his job and, and nothing that right. anyone wants to ever see happen. And, and now he's suing right. the family for this because he was called to their home and this was this was the very unfortunate result. Right. So, you know, there's some there's some questions as to the the methods that the officer chose to use to uh, approach a situation, the lethality of that. If there was anything else he could have done that would have been, you know, not resulted in in the death of both uh, Legree and his neighbor Jones. Um, but so afterwards, he decides to sue the family. So you're a family, you know, you you know, it's, we all have families. Imagine like somebody, it's terrible to think of, but somebody from your family is shot, killed by a police officer. Um, and then that police officer sues your family because he's very distraught over having to shoot your relative and I, kill him. I can't even imagine. I mean, the emotional pain on all sides of this, the officer, the family, but our, we're not in the Jack Assery segment. We're in the what's driving us to drink, and I and I'm ready to call Jack Assery on this. But this is oh, I'm, I'm this is amazing. All the, this just wants me to drink so bad that the, the that the officer thinks that this is appropriate. That this is a that this is a legitimate move to make, um, to sue the family because relations between. The police and the public, particularly in Chicago, right. were not terrible enough. Let's have the public think that not only will the cops shoot and kill your children, but then they'll sue you because their your children made them shoot them. Now, it, like I literally, I don't have I don't have words to explain this because there's no I mean there's no way to explain it. No, I don't I don't have words. Is is Officer Rialmo still a member of the police force? I believe so. Wow. I believe so. I'm not 100 percent certain. So this is so. So let's be clear. Like this, the, the city of Chicago is not suing this family. Okay. This is the officer that's that's suing them. Wow. So like at first, I would like there was also a story around the same time that I was going to lump in with this that the city of Cleveland, um, or Cleveland or Cincinnati, were were, yeah. Where Tamir Rice was killed, a 12-year-old boy, um, the city had uh, put collection agent in against uh, Tamir Rice's family to pay for the ambulance that delivered their son to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. But that was a clerical error. Like the the city was like, "That's we're terrible. This was not. This was done in vain." I mean, it's still make it's still a terrible situation. But like the city said, "Nope, this is not. Bad, this was right. not supposed to happen." Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about this police officer going out, getting a lawyer, and suing this family. That's not a clerical error. That's not, you know, bureaucratic machinations or thoughtlessness. This is a willful action. 
Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but I need to have another drink, I think, before we play Rad or Bad, because this is a pretty terrible I, situation. I concur. Yeah. I concur. All right. Well, enjoy your mulled wine, and I'll enjoy my beer, um, and hopefully that'll that'll give us enough courage to come back after this break for Rad or Bad. <laughs> Now let's play the game Rad or Bad. Each episode, one of us will fire off some current event topics at the other for responses on whether that is rad or bad. And this time, it is my turn to fire off some topics at you. So you ready, Adrian? I am ready. All right, topic number one. Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright chastising younger, chastising, I should say, younger female voters for feeling the burn. Rad or bad? bad that was just bad i don't i mean i think that i think some of the statements you know by i said by madeline albright were taken out of context it's something that she says all the time she always says right there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women and gloria steinem has since apologized for her comments uh, that suggested female supporters of bernie sanders were going to rallies just to find male supporters of bernie sanders but bad <laughs> yeah that's bad. a bad one all right number two Donald Trump's chance for actually winning this whole GOP nomination thing. Rad or bad? Ugh. Oh, God, this pains me. Um, rad. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, obviously it's not that I want it to be rad, but I don't, he, and unless, again, I maintain, unless he pees on an American flag or sets fire to a Bible... I don't know what's taking this motherfucker down. <laughs> yeah, you know, every every time he does something where I go, that, that I see and I go, well, that's it. His numbers go up, so <laughs> who knows? Yep. All right, sticking with uh, presidential politics, the prospect of Michael Bloomberg running as an independent, rad or bad? So that, does that mean like a, just the idea that he's going to run or like the idea that he'd run and would do well? Well... What do you think about him running in general? Um, bad. I'd say bad. Okay. I don't like it. I mean, for the same reason that, like, you know, pro- you know, ardent Republicans would not like Trump running as an independent. See, all I think he has to do split. is. I'm sorry. Because what? No, no. I was going to say just because it'll it'll split support. Yeah. Yeah, I think all he has to do is come out with a campaign slogan of. I'm not coming for your guns. I'm just coming for your sodas, and I think he'll be fine. He'll, he'll fly right through. <laughs> okay, if he does that, I change it to rad. <laughs> that would be rad. Okay. Uh, more on presidential politics. This is going to be a theme. Chance that Marco Rubio grabs the establishment candidate mantle coming out of South Carolina. It's down to him and Bush, probably, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess it is down to him and Bush. I'd say... Um, I'd say bad. Okay. I, I, you know, I, 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 if Bush is going to make a move, it's going to be out of South Carolina and they're both doing crappily. I think Marco's at 14% and Jeb's at, Jeb's explanation point is at 10%. So, (laughs) 
I, I don't know. It's still a little bit of ways. I, I don't. I don't think he's gonna get. The, I don't think he's gonna clear in a way win this establishment candidate mantle. Okay, great. Number five: likelihood that Republican senators block all nominations from President Obama th- for the rest of his term to replace Justice Scalia on the bench. Rad or bad? Do you think that's a high probability or no? I actually don't. I think it's bad. Um, I think that there is enough smart GOP senators who realize that they're going to look like a pack of asshats if they just block everything. Um, That's not to say that they won't delay, but, like, I can't see them just out and out blocking everything. Okay. All right. How about this? The right-wing backlash against Beyonce's formation song and performance during the Super Bowl. Rad or bad? Rad, because it led to the excellent SNL sketch where (laughs) it was like, (laughs) oh my God, you know, white people's fear as they realize that Beyonce is actually black. So (laughs) since we couldn't have had that without this, I'll give that a rad. I was watching that on Hulu. I was watching the replay of that. And and it was one of those moments where I just couldn't believe this. This is so amazing. It was hilarious. So that that was great. Mm -hmm. Everybody go check it out if they haven't seen it yet. All right, yeah, number seven. It's good, it's good stuff. Sarah Koenig's updates to the first season of Serial. Rad or bad? So I'm going to give this a bad. Um, her updates, you know, I, I listen to them, and it doesn't really capture the, um, I don't know, the obsession <laughs> that I developed for the first season of Serial. Now, if you wanted, if you changed it, if we were talking about Sarah Koenig's um, second season of Serial, I would give that a rat. I think that's way underrated. Yeah, I but think it's underrated too. Just the little mini updates that she did um, last week during the post-conviction relief uh, hearings for Adnan Syed. I, I, her updates were okay, but they weren't anything to write home about. Okay. Number eight. All the fuss over these waves in space-time. Rad or bad? Rad, right? Isn't this the stuff about proving relativity and gravity it, and it is, Einstein? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I give that a rad. Science nerds, that's awesome. I, I think it's. I'm not rad. sure I completely comprehend it, but they're all excited, and I like anything that makes little sciencey nerds excited. I don't think most people completely comprehend it, but it is definitely sort of rad. Yeah. All right, number nine, Mark Andreessen's absence from Twitter after his. India rant about um, Andreessen criticizing um, India for uh, rejecting Facebook's free basics plan, and he's been very quiet on Twitter lately. Is that rad or bad? I think that's probably rad because he had some pretty old-time tweets that made it seem as if he was in favor of colonialism. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's be- you know when you're when you're in the hole, stop digging. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And he he was absent from Twitter for a long time, and then he came back and was one of the people who pioneered the tweet storm. So it'll be interesting to see if he stays away for long. And and lastly, coming back to presidential politics, the Bernie or Hillary meme, rad or bad? Bad. Sexist, asshat, bad. (laughs) Sorry, it makes me, it makes me really, it's like the whole, is Hillary's shrill conversation. Could we have that a few thousand more times? Just give it a rest. I yeah. don't, I'm not saying that you can't be a supporter of Bernie Sanders and you can't try to find clever ways to distinguish him from Hillary. That's great. 
Stop being a sexist asshat about it. Meme generator people. Terrible. <laughs> and with, with that, we will wrap up this segment. And uh, let's have another drink while we're at it. And then we'll come back after the break with proof that everything doesn't suck in the world. Finally, let's turn to something good in the world in our segment called Proof That Everything Doesn't Suck. Shane, please tell me that you found some proof that not everything in the world is total suckage this week. Well, I'm going to have to go away from politics and the presidential election and the Supreme Court process in order to find something that doesn't suck. But fortunately, in the world of technology, I found something, and it's from Quartz, and it is their brand new Ah. chat-based news app, and it's amazing. I do like Quartz a lot, so talk to me about this new app. Yeah, I love Quartz. You know, good site, you know, very interesting sort of business that they're putting together. But they came out with a new app uh, in the past couple of weeks. But it's it's so much more than what most news apps are. It's not just an app-based version of Quartz's website. Like so many apps, whether they're um, you know the Washington Post or whether they're even the Snap Download Zone app, where it's the stories formatted uh, within an app that you can read just as you would if you went onto their website. Quartz's app is so much more and it's so innovative and I love it so, so much. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a chat bot. So it's like you're having a chat or a text message conversation with somebody where you go into the app and then you see those familiar three little dots, like somebody, you know, is sending you a text message and you know, Quartz's editors actually go in and they draft these text messages and it's almost, it's like a tree diagram. It's like a choose your own adventure type experience Ooh. where, yeah, you'll go in and it's amazing. And they'll say, so Jeb Bush had sort of a weird day, huh? You know, you know, question mark or whatever, something like that. Right. And then there's a couple of mm-hmm. things you can tap on, like, you know, next, or, you know, they'll have some emoji that, you know, you tap on for an indication that like, I want to learn more about this topic. And then you tap on that, and then it looks like, again, it looks like somebody's texting you a message, and it'll come through with more explanation. Another text message will come through with more explanation. And then you can tap on one of two options, and, and they're heavily laced with emoji for to determine, if, do you want more information about this story? Do you want to move on to the next topic? But it's like you're texting with a friend, and it's it's so just mind-blowing from an experience it's unlike anything that i've seen in news apps that it's it's really kind of amazing oh i want it i'm excited yeah it's great and then it also does some pretty amazing things like if you opt into it at the when the stock market closes you'll get a haiku about the stock market's (gasps) performance for the day in the haiku a haiku that that will yeah, and, and they'll throw emoji in, in, in there and everything like that. It's just fantastic. And then there's also a complication for Apple Watch where in the little corner of your Apple Watch display, again, there'll be like emoji. I think like if it's a, a bad day for the market, it's like the monkey with his hands over his eyes. So you sort of know, is the market doing well today or is it doing poorly? And, and then there's there's quizzes. So if you get to the end of it, you know, they'll say, that's it. So how about a quiz? And they'll throw you out something like choice A or choice B. And you answer it, and then you get more information. It's just, 
it's fun. It's more fun than cool. I think I've ever had going in and trying to trying to find out the news of the day. So I'm geeking out more than I've geeked out over any app in a long, long time. And for me, that's saying something because <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> that's awesome. I am definitely going to check this out. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So what is your proof that everything doesn't suck this week? My proof is Samantha B and her full frontal awesomeness. Mm. Have you checked her her show out yet? You know, I haven't checked it out. I understand that it's on uh-huh. TBS, and I've seen so yes. much good press about it, but I don't have Shame. cable TV, so I've got to go on. and. Oh. I think there's a TBS app I think I can go in and watch it, so I'll check it out. It's so, so good. It's only been on for two episodes. I've been, I mean, I feel like before Samantha came on, I had been wandering, kind of lost and alone in the wilderness. You know, no Jon Stewart. And, um, I mean, you know, Trevor Noah's had a couple good moments and whatever, and Stephen Colbert can still get political, you know, time every now and again, but not the same allure as the old days of the rapport. Right. But I was lost, and now with Samantha B, I am found. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's so great. Like, she started out her first show with, like, a, like a fake press, um, press conference and all the questions were like how are you able to do this as a woman and how's this been different for you as a woman and she worked at this whole like you know i was able to do it with a lot of hard hard work and a great staff and a little bit of magic and then she it goes to this like fantasy scene where she's like a full-on witch and like sacrificing stuff to get the show oh my gosh it's amazing it's so great it's so awesome. My only complaint with it is that it's only on once a week, um, but it's just it's a so her first her first episode she she really kind of neatly summed up the whole campaign shit show on both sides and you know mocked even mocked Hillary's fake oh I never thought I'd be here comments at this recent town hall and right. Bernie Sanders compared him to everybody's favorite cranky grandpa who leaves a tip with pennies in the shape of a smiley face and. Um, Referred to Donald Trump as, I think, like an orange collection of psychoses or something. What? <laughs> and Ted, Ted Cruz as a Ted Cruz as a fit-faced, fist-faced horseshit salesman. <laughs> it, it was so great. So, like, she goes on about the election, and then she's like, "And now let's talk about the already elected," um, which is a nice little reminder that hey, not everything's about the campaign because you already you, the whole country is elected like just a crap load of people that you know are already in office and she just tears apart this kansas state senator um who puts forth a dress code for women it's just oh she's a badass and her second episode which was on monday night she you know continued to be awesome about political coverage and then she actually has a she's doing a a series about learning about syrian refugees where she's gone to jordan and gone to the refugee camps and actually meet people to see if they're anything like what the idiot campaign paloozas are screaming about, you know, as in terms of danger to our country. And so she's right. talking to people that are actually refugees and the and what the process and talking to people who are actually doing the review process to get them into the country. Okay. Um, so she's got the chops in terms of knows what she's talking about, and she's outstandingly blisteringly funny. And that Samantha B is my proof that everything does not suck. That sounds like a good pick. I've got to go check out her show. I'm pretty excited now. And I'll and I'll go and I'll go download the app. All right, great. 
Well, enjoy Quartz, and I'll enjoy Samantha B. Uh, as always, I really enjoyed speaking with you this week. It was good to catch up, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening, please go to the snapdownload.com, check out Adrian's fantastic article that she mentioned earlier in the episode, and read more about politics and jackassery, and maybe some proof that everything doesn't suck. We'll sprinkle that in there every now and then, right? We try, we try to, we try to like, uh, you know, balance it out a little bit. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. And please go into iTunes and rate us. Give us some good ratings. Leave us your comments. Let us know how we're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks.